The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2022 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycindy.com. So while we are all in this room talking about everyday anxiety, you might wonder, why are we talking about anxiety? Maybe not, why are we talking about it, but why are we talking about everyday anxiety? Well, Elisa is a certified counselor whose schooling has prepared her to help people deal with theirs and other people's anxiety, so she is certified. I, however, um, why am I ever talking about anxiety? I would not have considered myself an anxious person for most of my life. I've heard friends and family talk about struggling with that or dealing with it, listened, and had compassion from an I don't understand by my own experience. Um, but over the past few years, there have been a couple of big changes in our life, my family's life, and in the health of people around me, and that has changed my engagement with anxiety, and I realized I need help. I need some help and some tools dealing with anxiety that I haven't had before. I need help dealing with my anxiety, the anxiety of my children, the anxiety of some people around me and my sphere of influence whose anxiety has really spiked. And so in my search for help, it's been a journey into some deeper, sweeter engagement with the Lord. It's also, and this also has to do with the engagement with the Lord, it's also changed some of my everyday habits. It's changed some of my parenting, some of the conversations that we've been having and some of my perspectives on what it looks like to be able to avoid or engage anxiety. And so on that journey, I am on it, still on it. I have a set of books up here in case anybody wants. I'll refer to some of them in a little bit. But I have read three of them completely, two of them three times, one of them partly, and one of them two chapters in. But they've all been helpful um, on this journey. And as we were getting ready for this talk, and if I Elisa still has her stack of books, so listen to her. Um, but we would hi- I would highly recommend a number of these, and we'll get back to them. So I'm going to start out with some prayer, and then we will um, get started. Lord, thank you for every single um, man and woman that is walked into this room. There is something that is true about every single one of them, and that is that they were uniquely, beautifully, gloriously made in your image in a way that uniquely displays your beauty, your glory, your creativity into the world in a way that no one else does. And so thank you for the privilege of being able to be in a room with them while we together talk about this thing that your word talks about. You told us we would deal with it. And by your help, God, would you let your spirit rest on us in a way that helps us as your children. And for some people in here who are skeptics and doubters and um, not sure what they think about you or truth or the gospel or Jesus Christ or the Bible, for all of them, God, I pray that you would do a work to draw us closer to an understanding of what you've equipped us to do to engage our anxiety. For everyone in the room, all of those people, skeptics, believers, new, those new in the faith, you have an invitation for us, and that is, come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's a beautiful invitation. Come, and I will give you rest. My burden is light, and my yoke is easy. That's a beautiful invitation, but you also invite us in a way that's uncomfortable because you say, if you come after me, I want you to take up your cross and follow me. 
and deny yourself. And so, God, that, that this invitation that we have, which is an invitation to follow you with our anxieties, and is both beautiful and discomforting. And so, God, I pray that by your spirit and by the wisdom that um, comes from your word, um, you would give us encouragement and strength. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we wanted to just start off with kind of the introduction to anxiety. Um, what is anxiety? Sam and I, what we really hope you come away with from this is some practical ideas and suggestions about how you can address and manage and work through your anxiety. But first, just to kind of get on the same page, um, I just want to talk a little bit about what I think anxiety is. And to do that, I'm going to just go even broader and talk about emotions for a minute, because I think that sets a good foundation for talking about anxiety. Um, so emotions are internal signals that give us information and motivation. Internal signals that help us understand what's happening inside of us. Um, so for example, um, I think this is pretty self-explanatory, but just for example, sadness. Sadness is an emotion that we've all felt, and it's just giving us information about what's happening inside of us, that we're in pain, that something's hurting, that we've lost something, that we need healing inside. Um, Anger. Anger is an emotion that um, is a great example of an emotion that motivates us. It literally energizes our brain and our body to fight, to protect, to defend ourselves or someone else. Uh, joy is an emotion, a more pleasant emotion that sends us the signal that we're experiencing something beautiful, something life-giving, something lovely. So these are all just examples of the ways that emotions are kind of these internal signals helping us understand what's happening inside of us, it kind of motivating our body for action. Um, our brains and our bodies are just undeniably wired to emote, the way that God created us. Um, and I think this is part of being human, this is part of being made in the image of God. If you read the Bible, you see so many examples of how God um, feels and how he communicates through emotion. So um, it's a part of reflecting what our God is like. Um, and a couple of, I think, just kind of metaphors that help me understand what emotions are like. One is thinking about emotions like the warning lights on the dashboard for the car. Maybe you've heard this before, but I think it's a helpful metaphor because the lights on our dashboard, they tell us when our gas is empty, they tell us when our tire pressure is low, it tells us when our engine isn't working, it gives us all these warning lights that help us understand what's happening under the hood of our car, and it helps us know what we need to do to take care of our car so that we can keep driving it. I think emotions really have the same um, function in our life of helping us see what's happening under the hood inside of us. Another metaphor that I like to use is just thinking about emotions like waves on a beach. Hopefully you've all had the experience of being on a beach, your feet are on the sand and the wave comes in and the water washes over your feet and kind of rises up and kind of hovers and then it goes back and it subsides and goes back into the ocean. Um, and really, just even the way um, scientists understand kind of what's happening in our brain and body when we're having an emotion, it's kind of, it's the way that our emotions are designed to be. It comes in, it kind of, um, we feel our emotions usually in response to something happening around us or inside of us. We feel it, we're impacted by it, and then as we kind of reflect on our emotions or, or we move through them, then they subside. Even the most uncomfortable example, like something like a panic attack, that's obviously a really uncomfortable, distressing, strong emotional reaction. Even a panic attack always ends. <laughs> it always subsides like the waves that go back into the ocean. Um, so, how this connects to anxiety is that um, fear is a very natural emotion. We all experience fear, and I think 
actually gave, they gave us that you designed our brains and our bodies to have fear responses because fear is just an emotion that's signaling to us that we sense some kind of threat in our environment, whether that's an internal threat or something happening outside of us, could be an emotional threat, a physical threat, whatever kind of threat it is, it's a signal. Fear is telling us that something, something is um, threatening or scary. And it kind of sends off the alarm bells in our brain and our body to react, usually to fight, or to flee, or to freeze. Um, and so like the wave metaphor, fear is an emotion that comes upon us when um, something feels threatening. And then it's meant, our bodies and our brains are designed by God to be able to release that fear as we move through the threat, um, and our body can return to a place of um, so the problem is, with anxiety, I find um, that usually when people use the word anxiety, they're not describing that kind of fear response, where like, it happens and then it kind of resolves and then it subsides. Usually when we talk about anxiety, we're um, describing more of the experience of feeling kind of stuck in this like generalized, ongoing sense of threat or stress, just kind of being stuck in that fear response, and it never goes away. So it's more like... The wave comes, and instead of going back into the ocean, you kind of get stuck in this whirlpool of anxious thoughts and feelings. Um, or it's like the warning light on your car going off. This is happening in my car where it's a faulty signal, so it's like it goes off and I fill up the tire pressure, but the warning light is still there and it won't go away. Um, so that's kind of what we're, um, our definition of anxiety. Um, I want to put this up here. You can keep that slide up. Um, just to acknowledge, Sam and I, in a short talk, are not going to be able to address the complexity of anxiety. <laughs> anxiety, just like any other mental health struggle, um, is very complex because we are very complex as believers of God. Um, but I just want to put this up here as an example. I talk to all of my clients about this, but I just think about our mental health kind of like a big puzzle <laughs> because there's so many different factors that contribute to our experiences. So. If you experience anxiety, my guess would be there's probably um, a number of factors that contribute to that. For example, things like having a genetic predisposition to things that runs in your family, or having developmental experiences that have impacted your anxiety. Or we know there's so much research on the way that past experiences and trauma in our life affects our nervous system and kind of keeps us locked in these anxious patterns. Um, even just situational things, like it's normal that if you're under more stress, you're probably experiencing more anxiety than when you're not under stress. So just want to at least acknowledge that there's a lot of puzzle pieces and a lot of factors. Um, we're not trying to treat anxiety like a really simple, easy to solve kind of thing. Um, so I just want to encourage you, if you do struggle with anxiety and you're serious about trying to work through that and heal that and navigate that in your life, just to be really curious about kind of all of these factors. Um, the other thing I want to say briefly about anxiety is just to look at the way, we're going to kind of narrow this down and just talk about the ways that anxiety lives in our body, in our mind, in our heart. Um, anxiety lives in our body in a very real way and the way that it activates our nervous system. Anxiety lives in our mind in the way that you know, all of us could probably resonate with times where your mind has just been kind of stuck looping on some anxious thoughts and it's like your mind won't let you think about anything else that has to be focused on the problem or the challenge or the threat in front of you. Um, and it lives in our heart. It lives in these um, kind of chaotic feelings that can happen or um, negative beliefs about ourselves and God and other people uh, that all get triggered with anxiety. 
Um, and what I want you to see, you know, these arrows kind of pointing back at each other, just to show um, all of these are feeding into each other. And I just think this is the way God designed us. Our body and our brain and our heart are so interconnected. Um, and so each of these are impacting the other, which is why as we talk about ways to address anxiety, we're going to be looking at ways um, that you can help your body, your mind, and your heart. Which this talk is primarily as the little clip. So this is going to be heavy practical. This is just giving you the quick overview, and then we're just going to hit me with a ton of practicals for each of these areas to be helps. But this is kind of the theory behind yeah, so I guess as we go, we're really going to kind of just move, like she said, into the more practical ideas for you. Uh, but before we get there, we did just want to pause for a moment for um, some reflection because um, I feel like we're about to kind of go into teaching mode and give like all these ideas and suggestions, but I don't mainly want you to feel like you're sitting in the classroom taking notes. I hope that this feels like you're actually kind of applying this to yourself and your own experience of anxiety. Um, so if you'd be willing, just for a couple of minutes, I'm not going to sit here for too long, but just for a couple of minutes to think about each of these questions. How does anxiety tend to feel in your body? What are your sort of physical stress cues where you know, like, oh, I'm feeling anxious or anxiety? What does anxiety sound like in your mind? What are the kind of anxious thoughts that your brain starts to loop on? And then how does anxiety show up in your heart? What are the feelings that come up for you? What are the beliefs that come up for you when you're feeling anxious? So just take a couple of moments to reflect on this for yourself. This would be a good thing to think about another time too, as you just think as you're processing anxiety, what does it feel like? Because the awareness of knowing these things actually is part of the coping with it. Sometimes people are highly anxious and they have no idea. That's often how children act. They can be really angry or really hyper about something and not know that there's anxiety over the surface. Actually, hey, are you nervous about going to a new playground with new kids? Because you're being really mad and angry right now. It's like, oh, yes. And as they get older, they're like, gosh, I'm feeling really snippy with the drivers on the road. Oh, that's because I'm driving to a presentation. I'm feeling anxious. So awareness of these things and how your body feels and then your mind and your heart can help you actually engage it and know what's going on instead of just being along for the ride. So we believe that, because again, at least not coming from a Christian worldview as believers in the Bible, we know that everyone isn't there necessarily in this room. We want to tell you why we're coming in there. We believe that God has given, and actually some of these are secular um, psychologists and counselors who have data. Everyone believes that there are ways that you can manage anxiety. We believe it's because God has given us ways for our embodied souls to manage anxiety and that address the whole self. This isn't just a matter of think the right thing and if you just think what's the right thing to have a verse for it, it's going to go away. No, there's a whole body, mind, heart aspect to it. And the world might also say that's just the thing. Like, we're just in the age of anxiety. That's what this is called. We're in the age of anxiety. And we're just anxious. I just have anxiety. Those are the default results of what is going on in your life and the world. And we believe that God has something grander than that. You do not have to get stuck in it. So that is not the default. So we have a few helps for mind, for body, mind, heart. Because usually that's how the anxiety comes up. First body, first mind, and first heart. 
I did see my girls in the back of the room, so I'm going to give you how my body experienced anxiety because of what they did to me last night. We were coming into the room, and their room is, their beds were up there. They went to their bedroom. I went mine. I went in the bathroom, brushing teeth, rest and stuff. And then I walked out the room, and I can't figure, can anybody else not figure out how to turn on the lights? I'm like, that is it. The slip switch is on the floor. Like, clapping. Like, get the lights on. It's just dark. I was like, that's fine. I know my way around. So I walk out of the room and I walk to my suitcase and from behind the bed, the two of them jumped up and went, ah! And I screamed a blood-curdling scream. And I am sorry for whoever heard it because it sounded like there was a murder. And I remember that my body, uh, my heart was pounding. I screamed. And, and even after I saw that it was them, and I'm like, okay, it's them. It's not my heart was like... <laughs> and so I had to like take a minute and I was like, I can't be near me. <laughs> and my youngest was like, sorry, 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 sorry. Clearly, mommy's you know, body is reacting to my anxiety there. Um, one of the things that helped me in that moment was take a couple deep breaths. Because actually, deep breathing, I don't know how many of you have this on your Apple Watch or whatever breathing is, the mindfulness apps, like breathing app, where it's like, But you have to follow the little circle thing. Um, it actually, I mean, it wasn't Christians that came up with that, but God came up with that our bodies respond to them. So there is something about our deep breathing. Just tell me this practical. Deep breathing can help you with your anxiety. Um, it helps your blood start circulating with some oxygen into different parts of your brain. And I, in 30 minutes, I'm just to like that. Calmed down my heart by breathing so fast. Um, the other thing is movement. There was a day when we moved, and I don't know how many of you moved, but there are things that just, I don't know how to get around in this grocery store, and I don't know where stuff is, and I can't find this one thing in the box, and I know I packed it there. So I, there were 10 things in a row that just kept happening in one particular day, and my anxiety of not being able to know what was coming next or what I needed was ramping up, and I could tell I was feeling really short with the people in my house, and I was feeling really short with some people that were visiting in our house, and I was like, I've learned. I am so anxious right now. And every time I think I'm past that next thing, something else hits me. And you know what I need right now? I need a 20-minute sprint as hard as I can. Like, I just need to run it out. And my doctor had said, I said, I'm experiencing increased anxiety. And I said, well, you know, Sam, you cannot, you cannot monitor or govern how much anxiety from circumstances is coming into your life. But you can't do something about the adrenaline in your body, and you can run it out. Um, and so I went, I said, everyone, I'm sorry, I'm going on a 20-minute run, and I'll be back later. But I need to do that, what I'm doing right now. So I put my headphones in, and I ran as hard as I could. I like to say I was for 20 minutes, maybe it's more of a seven-minute dash, <laughs> and then a fast walk. However, my body changed. All of that energy that I had that was coming through my mind was making me frustrated went into running, and when I started walking, I was able to slowly start thinking about the different eight things that had happened that were disasters and catastrophes in a better way. And when I came back to the house, having run, breathed more deeply, and then thought through it, I handled it better. So the other thing that you can do is grounding techniques. And has anyone in here heard of square breathing? Raise your hand if you've heard of square breathing. Quite a few of you. Um, I read it in this book that I'll recommend. I know it says that girls, but I'm telling you, my husband has gained a lot from it. Um, raising worry for girls is like, oh, this is for parenting your kids. And I'm like, oh my gosh, sissy dog. You're like changing my mind. 
calling me, so it's like, she's relevant. Um, so in that book, she talks about grounding techniques, so I gathered my girls and I was like, hey girls, there is something that I learned about that helps your body come down and it's for breathing. Like, yeah, mom, we know they taught us in school. <laughs> cool, thanks for sharing that with your mom. She needs to know. But it is part of the breathing thing, and it's um, what you can do if you're in a classroom or you're in a place and someone walks in the room like, no, I'm feeling anxious right now, or I'm feeling anxious, they're gonna call on me, or a test. You can do square breathing and you can do it on your leg. And that's just where you, you're gonna trace a square on your leg. And just breathe in, two, three, four, five, six, hold it up the corner, two, three, six. And then you breathe in, hold it out, breathe in. And doing that square breathing, because God created our bodies, embodied souls, your brain starts functioning differently when you're doing the deep breathing and when you're feeling. So there are different grounding techniques like the square breathing. There's another one, and what you're trying to do, at least you can go into this, but the way that your brain functions also, when you're in panic mode, like I don't know, say last night at 10, 8, 10 p.m. when people are jumping behind your bed, um, when you are in that panic mode, your blood goes to your amygdala and you are in fight or flight or scream and freeze. Some helpful little so I do. Um, you're there, but you want the blood to get to your prefrontal cortex where you can start to think. And one of the things that you can do that is a grounding technique by doing something like this. What are, you can do this in your classroom when you're about to take an exam. What are five red things that I can find right now? One, two, three, what are five yellow things that you can find right now? Make it harder. What are five chartreuse things that you can find? Out? What you're doing is you are making your brain work to be very present in the moment, and it does something physiologically to you to help your body calm down from anxiety. Again, we're just in the body. We haven't gone to the mind and the heart yet. We're just there. The other thing is five, four, three, two, one. Um, I had a friend who did it. She's got a grant from the government to study about the brain because people in the medical environment, medical places are really engaging, I don't know, in high anxiety. Um, but what they're starting to do for hospital workers, nurses, and doctors is give them a two-minute break every hour to do something like this, where you have to say, step away from everybody else. Doing this in 60 seconds to two minutes will improve your medical care for your patients. Five things that you can see. Name them. Four things that you can hear. Three things that you can feel. Two things that you can smell. One thing that you can taste or flip those. Here's the thing, you're not gonna remember the order and you're gonna write down because even trying to figure it out and thinking about it is helping you be very present, which is grounding your body from the anxiety that that is hitting it. And the other one is the three doors game. And this can I think this one is particularly helpful if for a lot of people anxiety can spike at bedtime because for the first time in a while, you're not on your screen and you're not watching something and you're not distracting yourself. So when you are trying to go to sleep, the anxiety is there. And so one of the things you can do is called the three doors game. And that is where you think of three places that you have ever in your life experienced respite, peace, joy. You've been there. And there are three different places, and you open the door to the first one in your mind. Because God has given us an imagination. You see, because all over Scripture, people are describing things. But they're not sitting there looking at just imagining where they were or what they saw. You open the first door, and you start to think, what do I hear in this place? What do I smell? 
what do I see? And you describe and you revisit it, and then I feel the sand on my toes. Gosh, I was right in the moment. The waves, when you think about that, a lot of times people say, you don't get to the third door if you do this well. First door might be asleep, second door, you're alone. Um, so we won't do this reflection right now, but something to consider for you for later is if anxiety is something that you find very difficult, what are some physical habits that might be actually feeding your anxiety or keeping your nervous system activated? It could be too much caffeine, including chocolate. Um, could be caffeine, could be not enough sleep, could be a stressful lifestyle, might be that you need to cut some classes, might need to be that you need to pare things down, take your social calendar down a few notches, take a day to breathe, might be poor nutrition or not exercising. Those are some things that could factor on your body's experience of anxiety. So we're gonna move into, again, think about the triangle we showed, how anxiety shows up in the body, the mind, the heart. We're gonna move into how anxiety shows up in the mind. And these are all very connected even to some of the things that Sam was just sharing. Um, but I think it is important for us just to become aware of our anxious thoughts and how they show up in our mind because our thoughts really do play a huge part in perpetuating the anxious feelings and reactions um, that we have. Um, anxiety, I just want to say on the front end as we're talking about anxious thoughts, that trying to just avoid anxious thoughts is not going to work. <laughs> you may have tried that before. Um, I kind of think of it like if you've ever been in a swimming pool and tried to push a beach ball down under the water, you've noticed that the harder you try to push it under, the harder it's going to push back up at you. Um, and that's kind of how anxious thoughts work. A lot of times if you just try to kind of push them down, forget about it, and suppress them, um, they'll actually come back louder and stronger. So um, we don't want to get stuck ruminating in our anxious thoughts. But we also, it's not going to be helpful just to try to avoid them or suppress them. And so the, the suggestions that I'm about to offer to you are just some ideas about how you can learn to reflect on your anxious thoughts in a helpful, intentional way in order to kind of work through them and move through them. Um, so the first one is just learning to name the worry. Um, psychologists call this name it to tame it. And this actually goes back to what Sam was just describing about how our brain works that when you are feeling anxious or threatened, that alarm bell has gone off in your brain, in the amygdala, that frontal brain, which is what they call the thinking brain, where we have ration and reason and perspective, it goes offline. Like it literally starts to shut down, which is helpful if you are in the woods running from a bear that's attacking you. You don't need to be thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch later, what kind of bear is that, and where, where, what part of the trail am I on? Like, your brain, your thinking brain does not need to be active because you just need to run and your body knows that. That's where the gift of how God designed our body to protect us and keep us safe. But in our everyday anxieties, when we're not running from a bear or a threat like that, it's not very helpful when that thinking brain goes offline and shuts down because we lose perspective. Um, so, psychologists have found through a lot of research that um, actually just slowing down to name the anxious thought. Just that alone. It doesn't fix the anxiety, it doesn't take away whatever stresses you want, but just slowing down for long enough to name the anxious thought or the anxious feeling actually starts to bring that thinking brain back online, just like some of those other um, grounding skills that Sam was talking about. So a couple just practical suggestions here is just um, to find ways to write it out, <laughs> to write your anxious thoughts. Um, some of you probably like to journal, and that's, it really is a helpful way just to label and name the anxious thoughts. I know not everyone is a journaler. I have started more, um, especially in a moment, like, 
if I'm at work and I'm starting to notice my anxiety is rising and it's like I don't have a journal with me and I can't sit down for 30 minutes and journal about it, I'll just pull up my phone and pull up a note and just start typing like, noticing that my anxious thoughts are saying this or I think I'm feeling stressed out right now about this thing. Like I'll just find a way to write it out or to verbally process with someone. Um, and that can be really helpful. The other thing is to set aside the worry time. <laughs> and what I mean by this is it's kind of a designated time that you're choosing to reflect on the anxious thoughts. What we don't want to do is just give anxious thoughts, you know, complete reign over our whole day 24-7. Um, but as we're trying to thoughtfully reflect on the anxiety, um, it might be helpful for some people to maybe set a time for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, at some point in your day, and that's your worry time where you're going to uh, thoughtfully choose to reflect on the anxious thoughts, try to label what's you know, feeling so stressful, what are your thoughts telling you, what's happening in your body. Um, and then when that timer goes off and the 15 minutes are up, then you choose to set that aside to release those anxieties. And I would suggest you choose to go move your body, go for a walk, you go do something creative, you do something crazy, you pray, you hang out with a friend, do something that's life-giving for you. Um, so essentially it's kind of, again, like, Kind of recreating that wave metaphor of like you're choosing to let the anxiety to reflect on the anxiety and then when the time is up then you're choosing to release it there's a funny clip on this is us that had them doing this practice in the car because they were worried about one of their children so they set a timer for three seconds they're like okay worry go um she leaves the house and hates us forever go she kills us in our sleep go she kills us not in our sleep go and they did it for 30 seconds and it's like <laughs> okay so that's really like we're done the other thing is I find that when I'm feeling anxious, it feels like there's 27 things that are going wrong in my life. And when I actually sit down and write it out, it's like, I guess there were three things that I'm feeling anxious about. It just felt a lot bigger in my head when they kept like moving over. So these can be helpful practices. Um, the next thing is just learning to recognize worry's voice. And what I mean is that um, our anxious thoughts kind of can take on a life of their own. And they feel so urgent. Um, they feel so real. Um, but our anxious thoughts are not always accurate. In fact, they're often not accurate. Um, our anxiety starts to distort our thoughts, or it's probably called cognitive distortions, which just means there's some examples up here of like our what if thoughts. You know, where when we're feeling anxious, we start to think, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What about this? This could happen. And our brain is coming up with all the potential outcomes that could happen. Those are not all going to happen. Those are not all accurate thoughts about what's really going to happen, but your brain is jumping to the limits. Um, or catastrophizing is another one, which is just a fancy way of saying your brain, when it's anxious, jumps to the worst case scenario and imagines the worst thing that could happen, which most of the time, the worst case scenario is not going to happen. That's your anxious brain that's getting distorted and making it feel like that's true. Um, or generalizing. This happens a lot where your anxious brain takes an example of one negative experience and then generalizes it to like everywhere, all the time. Um, so, uh, like I said, these thoughts are not um, accurate. Um, and so what we need to do is learn to recognize these thoughts as thoughts, not as a fact or truth. So for example, if you struggle with um, social anxiety and maybe you're, you're prone to having thoughts like, um, everyone's going to hate me, or nobody likes me, or people think that I'm stupid, which already you can hear the thought distortions of how you're generalizing and all of that. Um, so those thoughts are happening in your brain, and you are, most of the time when you're anxious, we're just accepting them as true. Like, that just feels great. Everybody hates me. Nobody likes me. People think I'm stupid. Um, 
that might not be true. In fact, it's probably not true. And so if you can get a little distance from that thought, and instead of just saying, everybody hates me, start to notice, oh, my anxiety is telling me that everybody hates me. Oh, my worried brain is telling me nobody's going to like me, or I'm going to look stupid. Does that make sense? You're getting a little bit of distance, and instead of just accepting that thought as true, you say, oh, my anxiety is telling me um, that this feels true right now. And as soon as you can start to get some distance from it, um, again, it kind of starts to bring some of that perspective back on them. Um, and then the last thing I'll say here for help for the mind is just, once you've started to get a little distance from those anxious thoughts, you can start to learn to talk back to them, to, to challenge those negative thoughts. And I just really encourage people um, and myself, what I'm trying to get better at is like, when you notice that that's the anxiety talking, just like find a way to hit the pause button internally and just kind of get curious about like, what is my brain and body trying to communicate to me right now? Where is this anxiety coming from? Is this anxious thought accurate? Like, is this true? Is this helpful? So just trying to um, talk back to these negative thoughts, and we'll get to this a little more in the heart section too, and think about some helpful ways even to um, talk back to some of the negative thoughts that we can have. Um, or just, again, finding that pause button to say, how can I calm myself down? Like, can I just take some deep breaths? Do I need to take a break for a minute to calm myself down before I spiral further and start to believe these thoughts or make any decisions or take action on these anxious thoughts? Um, so just a really quick note, I'm not gonna, here, but I'd encourage you even just to write down Matthew 6. There's a um, pretty well-known passage of scripture where Jesus is talking to people about anxiety. And um, I just thought it was really cool recently when I was reading it to see Jesus literally um, doing all of these things that we're talking about. So he's talking to them about anxiety in general, but then he names their worry specifically. He says, I know you're worried about what you're going to eat, worried about what you're you worry about what you're wear. Like, we hear him naming the specific anxious thought. And then he starts to point out some of these thought distortions. Like, hey, the anxiety that you have is not actually helping. Like, being anxious. Your anxiety is telling you that if you can, um, the more anxious you are, the better you'll be able to protect yourself. And it's kind of like, the anxiety isn't going to have a day to your life. It's not actually protecting you. And then Jesus responds with the good news and he talks back to the anxiety by reminding us, you have a father who sees you, who cares about you, who takes care of you. Uh, so I just think it's cool that, again, psychologists have done research on understanding our brain and our mind, and they've figured out, hey, these are some helpful skills and tools to practice that Jesus was doing this Yeah, it's interesting, ago. too, because he also, in that same passage, is grounding them, because as they're walking, and they're worried, and that comes up, or worry comes out, he's like, oh, look at the birds of the air. You see them? Can you hear them? Do you watch them flying, that one? Do you see that one? What about the flowers that we're landing on? What colors are they? Like he's grounding them in, you are okay right now. Be here right now. You're okay. So there is a lot that is in scripture that as we were reading, we are talking about this, we're like, that's crazy. God told us about that before all this secular research was like, do you know what really helps? <laughs> Looking at the birds. Time in nature. <laughs> like, yeah, Jesus said it first. Um, okay, so also, like we said, often anxiety travels first through the body, then to the mind, and then to the heart. So these are some practical helps for the heart. Again, this is a fast flyover. That help for your heart, and it's like my heart, my beating heart, is what you're believing. So there are things that go from just thoughts that you can talk back to, but then there's a level of believing things. One clinical psychologist wrote, anxiety can actually lead us to believe if we are not I'm talking back to it, managing, pushing on it, 
It can lead us to believe that easy things are hard and that hard things are impossible. So our belief has changed that easy thing, and I can see other people doing it, it's easy, and even children can do it, it's easy, but it's hard. That's because our belief, it's already that anxiety has moved into our hard belief, and that hard things are now impossible. But we know better, we know better when we start to think and talk to some other people. So starting to think, what are some of the easy things that now seem hard to you? Um, what are some things that feel hard that now you think, I think it's not hard, it's impossible? Really? Like, these are some belief things, and this is just evidence that anxiety has gotten to you there. So some of the very practical ways, again, this is a flyover, but practical ways to start to battle those hard beliefs that anxiety has grabbed a hold of. And this happens for people who are not Christians. This happens for people who have a good, deep relationship with Jesus Christ. This happens for Manny Lisa. These are things that we have worked through and watched the Lord help us be on a journey toward fighting and being free from it. One of them is emotional vocabulary. Emotional vocabulary, like she said, sometimes you're anxious about something, you're like, it's everything, everything's falling apart. And you're like, okay, let's let's name it, let's tear it down. One of the things is, what is underneath the anxiety? Some feelings are on the underneath in there, and a lot of people, if you're a nice person, or you've always been a kind or respectful person, you may have a harder time naming them because some of them are really ugly, like anger and fear and things that we don't want to put a name on. So this is a chart that you can Google it. There are many feelings charts online, but we used it when we were talking with our children, but we've also used it with adults. And when Paul and I have done pre-marriage counseling or marriage counseling, we use it because even for us, it's like, what are you feeling right now? And sometimes it's like, I guess I'm just feeling silly or nervous, worried. I'm hurt. I feel hurt. And that's why you're feeling anxious about this next thing. But sometimes there's so much going on underneath and it feels like a chaotic whirlwind that paying attention to and finding our emotional vocabulary can help us get underneath it. So it is a practical thing. It doesn't, doesn't make it go away. It's just on the journey to handling your anxiety instead of just letting it handle you. So emotional vocabulary is one of the things. At our dinner table, we start this because I'll hate someone to say this, I'm going to say this anyway. Um, one of us is more emotionally tuned in. It's like, I don't care what you're feeling all the time, Sam, but I'm telling you all the time what I'm feeling. Paul, on the other hand, was like, we're just doing these things. We're just getting them done. We started as a family for our children, slash him, um, doing feeling sticks where we wrote feelings on these popsicle sticks, and everybody had to pull out two, and we used the feelings wheel, and now we pull out frustrated and embarrassed. And I'm like, okay, I have to tell everybody at the table, when was the last time I felt frustrated? When was the last time I felt embarrassed? And our girls, when they were younger, and then sometimes Paul would be like, hmm, angry. Hmm. And I'm like, can we help? Tell me when you find a friend. I'll help you. And with kids, it was that too. Your friends could probably tell you that. Gosh, when was the last time I was embarrassed? Sometimes other people around you, as you're growing your emotional vocabulary, can help you, and then you get better at it. And now Paul can tell you. He answers his own questions. I'm exaggerating, but um, so emotional vocabulary helps. Also, and this is what Elisa said earlier: face and embrace, face and embrace the worry. Um, we say that because we will never be free from anxiety completely. Never be completely free. There will never be a time when that is not happening. Um, now I'm feeling anxious. Paul's leaving the room. Sorry, honey, I love you. Um, <laughs> 
Um, face and embrace the worry. We'll never be free from anxiety in a broken world. And actually, Jesus told us that. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. He doesn't say, take heart. There is a way and a place you can go move and live, and it will not be there. It's not how he says it. He says, you will face trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So he tells us we're going to face it. We do face it. We can't avoid it. And if we live, which some of us try for seasons or for a long time or maybe in our entire childhood, if we escape and avoid discomfort a long time, not only will you stay stuck, but actually avoidance doesn't alleviate but can strengthen the anxiety. So people who completely avoid discomfort and anxious things can actually become increasingly anxious and lose their strength to face difficult things. That is a tough reality, but what that means is actually sometimes we need to face something that feels like, oh, that would just be a night, um, extreme, that would be a nightmare. And it's like, well, Sam, maybe you need to face the nightmare. Maybe you need to go do it and then realize you can do it. So there is something called exposure ladders that counselors use. And that would be, for example, um, maybe you're saying, you know what I would never want to do is I would never want to go um, into a, I would never want to go to New Year's conference or to one of our meetings on campus. But I'd like to. I mean, that just feels impossible. I have such high social anxiety. So then you put that at the top of the ladder, and then you figure out what are the steps that could get me to that place? How can I slowly, with whatever help, maybe I'm going to go to dinner with someone else who's invited me to go to meet. Okay, that's a step I'm going to go with them. Maybe I see if they'll go to dinner with me and three other people. Maybe we'll do that and then we'll go to meeting together. So there are ways to, over time, expose ourselves to these things that feel overwhelmingly anxious to us because what we're believing is I can't. I am not able, I do not have what it takes to show up at that hard thing or to do that hard thing or to face my professor when I failed. You can't. You can do it. But believing and watching your beliefs is something that we've got to work through. So remember, anxiety causes you to underestimate your resilience and resources. And if you expose yourself to the threat, you can build your tolerance and your resilience. And you'll learn that you actually have the strength, the bravery, the smarts, the support to overcome it. And it's like building muscles. So practice makes perfect. You can celebrate even the smallest victories. At least said it was sometimes negative. Is, it's just a reality. Negative memories, failures are stronger than positive. That is just how it works. We don't. We have to work against that to say, what are the victories that you have? When are when are hard things happened and you have gotten through them? Maybe you didn't come through with flying colors, but you got through it, and you are okay, and you didn't avoid coming here. There are some things that you can celebrate the victories that you've had in the past that can help you recognize. I am practicing hard things. I am moving toward difficulty. Um, so one more quick thing, and I'll fly through it. Often, and this is. We could have a whole seminar on this. Identity core beliefs of anxiety can be the message under the message. What a pastor, who I've got a book up here by him, Pastor Bob Smart in Illinois, he calls it a core condemning thought. And it can take time to figure it out, but I'm just going to go through. He actually uses the Enneagram to kind of give you some guesses of what some of these core beliefs can be. Um, I'm wrong. I'm not good enough. I'm unworthy of being loved. Beliefs that are anxious beliefs. I'm only as significant as what I accomplish. I'm unknown and I'm misunderstood. I'm helpless and incapable. I'm without support and guidance. I'm deprived. I have no agency. I don't matter. 
Those are just examples. We could sit here and spin out a lot of them. There are a lot of ways that anxiety takes root, not just in our body, but when we think these things, our body can respond. Body, mind, heart. Yeah, I think even just looking at that list, it's like, no wonder we feel anxious when we're believing those things. I mean, it's so threatening to believe, I mean, I'm unworthy of God's love. Like, that's a scary place to live. Um, so it's really important to get to the heart um, from beneath that. We want to just wrap up here with um, some hope from Jesus. Um, anxiety is a hard topic. And I think one thing that I want you to hear from us is that um, Knowing Jesus, trusting Jesus and loving him is not a magic cure for your anxiety. Um, he never promises to take away all of our anxiety. Um, like Sam said, we live in a broken world. We live in broken bodies and brains where um, it's just part of our experience this side of heaven that we face anxiety. Um, so I don't want any of you to um, get the sense that you know, if you just trusted Jesus enough, then your anxiety could be all gone. And yet, on the other hand, um, we really believe that knowing Jesus and trusting Jesus is the deepest and truest and safest and strongest resource for you in facing the core of your anxiety. And so, um, when we were talking about this, we were thinking about it, it's like roots that go down deep into the soil. Um, so that whatever fear and threat and challenge and difficulty you're facing in your life, of course, the anxiety comes and that fear response happens and your body reacts and your heart rate goes up and all of these things that we know. Um, but when you trust in Jesus, it's like having roots that go down deep into the soil and you have access to the source of life, the source of hope, the source of peace. Um, so I think, um, I guess just what we want to kind of leave you with is, I think if you're in this room, um, and you trust in Jesus, you love Jesus. Um, I just want you to hear these words um, from Scripture. It says to cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Honestly, if that's the only thing that you left here remembering, that God cares for you, that He sees your anxiety, He knows your anxious heart, He knows what your body needs and what your brain needs, and He's given you all of these resources that we just list listed take care of your mind and your heart and your body. And so I hope that if you're trusting in Jesus, that this just feels like an invitation for you to take advantage of all these resources that God has provided um, and to remember that he cares for you, that you can cast all of your anxieties on him. Um, and if you don't know Jesus, if you're not trusting in him um, right now, if you're investigating who he is, you have questions about him, I really hope that this also feels like an invitation to you too. Um, I hope that, that you... Um, are reminded of all the resources, again, that God has given us to take care of our brain and our body, but especially, we just want you to know Jesus is um, the best place for you to go with your anxiety. Um, he offers himself to you. So when your body is racked with fear and your mind is racing with worry, um, when you trust in Jesus, you never have to face that alone because he cares for you. So we did talk about, I told you at the beginning, there are some habits that have changed in my life and they have impacted my strength to engage anxiety. Um, as far as book recommendations, because um, it's small and you can order it on Amazon, but Pastor Bob Smart, Embracing Your Identity in Christ. Um, I want to say, if you are in here and you don't know what you believe about Christ, that's okay, because you know what? God made your body work just like the rest of us who do trust in Christ. And so these things, these practicals that we've given you, they will work for you regardless of what your worldview is. That is a beautiful blessing. 
Um, I will say that this kind of strength and identity in Christ, there is a deep rootedness that comes only from believing that you image God Almighty. And he has a plan for your life. And he has an invitation to you. And there is a way, an image of the tree that God gives us. And he said, you will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. In drought, in storm, in tornado, there are things that a tree rooted by streams of water, it can bear fruit and leaf not wither. And that is something that God offers to people who come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you this kind of rest. Doesn't mean that you do not face trouble. You will face trouble in this world. But take heart. And when you know him, he says, take heart. I have a in the world and say, I know you. And I believe you. And we have seen, and um, Pastor John and Michelle mentioned this, and I've gone to two funerals this year. One for a 38-year-old friend who was sitting in like this. Four children left behind. And a friend that was involved in Kinsari, who was a student and early on staff also um, 44 children left behind. And there is something about this that we were able to watch for the people that carried their coffins, that helped their children, that laid in bed with them when their children were brought in and one of them said, hey boys, I know why God's writing this story and I don't like it. But he's good and he will provide for you even while he's taking you from So there's a deep, hardcore, drought, storm, death that God is inviting you to in Jesus Christ. All of these things we've given you, body, mind, heart, there are things that God offers that secular psychologists can doubt on the there. There are some things sweeter and deeper, and if you will ask him, I hear you saying, come. I don't know how to do it. Will you help me come? And he will answer you. So we'll close us in prayer, and then um, and then we'll let you go to the next one. Father, you are good all the time. Sometimes when you let happen is not what we want to happen. But there are two sisters in Christ that I know, and they are seeing you face to face, and they're not wondering anymore. And there isn't fogginess between their understanding your beauty and seeing your beauty. So God, for some of us, while we see now and be redemptly, we long for the day we can see you face to face. And so God, I pray for every man and woman, image bearer, beautiful in dignity and glory, and, ex- and experiencing the fall in and outside of their bodies, in and outside of their homes. God, you are a God of hope and a God who writes redemption stories. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would write them in sweeter, deeper ways for us to see, even as we battle and walk through valleys casting our anxieties on you because we believe that you care and you gave us your sin to show us how much. We pray blessing on them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conyc.com.